Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I'm really psyched to be here for this episode with Ambrose Kenny Smith. And uh, if you're here for the first time to listen to Ambrose, uh, welcome to the Roadcase community. And if you are a longtime or regular listener of Roadcase, welcome back. Really psyched to have you. Thanks for your support. And I'm really excited for this episode. As I like to remind everybody, you can get involved with Roadcase in a number of different ways. And one of those ways is to follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Another great way to get involved with the Roadcase community is by email. And you can email me with your questions, comments, concerns, uh, anything you'd like. I promise to get back to you. My email is info at roadcasepod.com. Uh, you can also find out more information about the show by going to our website. We're www.roadcasepod.com. Another great way to show your support for Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, you just scroll down a little bit, go to the rate and review section, throw down a bunch of stars, write a couple words. Uh, That's a great way to support Roadcase. And I really appreciate that. So for this episode, I've got Ambrose Kenny Smith with me for this interview, joining me from Melbourne, Australia. Ambrose is with the band The Murlocs, and he's also with King Gizzard and The Lizard Wizard, two amazing and fascinating bands. The Murlocs' latest album called Bittersweet Demons, uh, their fifth album, as a matter of fact, was out on June 25th. Uh, I spoke to Ambrose shortly before that album was released back at the beginning of June. There was some issues in Australia with a kind of slow rollout of the vaccine and they would go under super lockdown. So that was about to happen as I spoke to Ambrose uh, on this morning back in June. So uh, we get a little bit of context of what was happening all the way on the other side of the planet from where I'm located in Chicago. But Going back to his early background, his parents were super into music and his dad is a notable musician. Um, Ambrose was a super skate nerd early on. In fact, he says that he was a skateboard nerd over being a music nerd uh, early in his life. And uh, he just loves to perform and kind of loves that thrill of being out there throwing a trick on a skateboard uh, compared to being up on stage and performing for his fans and for a crowd. Um, Murlocs and King Gizzard kind of took off at the same time. Um, Well, they sort of developed at the same time and King Gizzard's kind of took off in the United States and it's been kind of a balance for him as well uh, to play with his friends and to have that all kind of come together. But he's self-admittedly calls himself a noob. He's very humble. He doesn't want to have uh, an ego. He just follows his heart and his ear. His albums, uh, this latest Murloc album is in a really, really beautiful album, kind of focused on emotional truths and is very personal for him. I highly recommend you go and check it out. Again, it's called Bittersweet. 
Sweet Demons. Uh, it's just a really fun interview. Uh, he's a super mellow dude, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I know that you will, too. Uh, thanks again for being here and for your continued support of Road Case. I want to send a special shout-out and thank you to Ambrose Kenny Smith for being here on this episode of Road Case. And here we go. Okay. Thanks, Ambrose, for joining me, man. I'm really happy to have you here. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I didn't even ask you where you're joining me. You're in Australia, obviously. What, what uh, whereabouts? Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, cool. Yeah. Home of the Australian Open is kind of all I know about it, but sorry about that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So, what you mentioned to me that you guys are going into another lockdown. What's that all about? Since I got since, yeah, since I got you here direct from Australia, here's the latest. Bit flustered to be honest today. Um, yeah, we're about to go into a lockdown. I reckon they're about to announce something in like half an hour or so. Um, mm. I've just been running around to get a bunch of stuff done before that happens. Been. Um, we played some shows on the weekend. For, we did album preview shows for Murlocs at the Brunswick Ballroom oh, cool. here. And yeah, that went all well. And then we did a shoot yesterday. And then today we're doing um, another, we're doing a, trying to do a, a last minute gizzard, gizzard video clip if we can. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just a bit all over the shop today. Yeah, yeah. Well, how was that show? I mean, was that in front of an audience? Yeah, yeah, we got to play to a full house. We got to do two nights, but it was seated, so that was sort of the loophole in it because um, uh-huh. it was seated. We got to have a bit more people than normal sort of at the stage. Like we booked it a while right. back knowing that that was going to be the case, uh-huh. so sort of the safest option. And the album's pretty mellow and stuff, so it made sense to do it in that sort of setting. Was that weird to like have everybody seated? Yeah, I'd never really done it before. In my <laughs> like, head, what's the matter with you people? Why are you guys like, all sitting down? Yeah, romantic or something. But uh, it was very intimate. Um, yeah, it was good fun though. I enjoyed it though. I liked a lot of that sort of more relaxed, chill sort of soulful blues, country folk sort of music. Anyways, that's why I was trying to go for that aspect, but. I guess we're a lot more rock in that sense, but um, yeah, it was, it was a fun, fun experience. Good night. That's interesting that you were able to do it in kind of a different way and actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I still enjoy it. It's good. We um, had this three piece here in Melbourne called um, Folk Bitch Trio, and they got up and supported us, and they did three piece harmonies on a bunch of songs and stuff. So it was it was cool. It was, it was a special sort of one-off thing. Yeah, really. If there's nothing else this pandemic has taught everybody, it's like be flexible, shit happens, and, you know, take away the positives from what occurs. Because, you know, like there's always positives from whatever situation you're in, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's got to be some. <laughs> right? Yeah, you think maybe there's a, a couple positive things that are going on. But what you said that there's this uh, this lockdown that's occurring. What what's kind of what's explain to me a little bit about the environment in Australia with COVID? 
Um, well, we're very far behind in the vaccine rollout, so we've been pretty starved of that. Um, but yeah, you know, it was good in hindsight, like like with all the lockdowns and how strict things were, you know, doing all these snap hard lockdowns and then coming out and being pretty good to live normal life for a while. So it has been pretty well normal for for a bit, like I'd say a couple of months and then and then it pops up again, you know. So you just gotta gotta adapt and go with the you know, the waves of the world. <laughs> it's pretty Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's like a situation there where people just, it, it's, um, uh, let, let's say for, for example, for this show, so did everyone need to get tested first? Is that how kind of things are happening now since the vaccine rollout isn't really happening as fast as it is here, for example? Yeah. Everyone's getting tested and yeah, lots of that going on and pretty immediate action happens once things start to, you know, pop off. But, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of some days you get so invested into it and researching it and wondering and, you know, figure out all the different scenarios that are happening. But um, then some days you just don't want to turn on the TV. (laughs) But, you know, it's good having music and stuff to distract you and knuckle down. And, yeah, it's sort of been a big last 12 months or so of making a lot of music and now it's, I don't know, feeling a bit burnt out, but still, still trotting along, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sort of have yeah, I feel you. Different days. Yeah, I feel you on that. And um, this new album, I kind of gathered from what I read, is that some of it was you. You worked on some of the material before uh, lockdown, and well, it's where the original COVID wave hit, <coughs> and then or sort of sort of worked on it throughout the course of twenty twenty. Was that was that how it worked? Um, no, it was actually finished. Uh, we recorded it in January 2020, and then oh, okay. it was being mixed by like mid March. So by mid March, it was just being mixed and finished off. And as literally, I remember like being out in my backyard doing this sort of same situation with the dude mixing the album back and forth, and he was just, you know just down the road from me but I couldn't go there and then Mm. yeah we finished it off and then we just sort of sat on it for for a while figuring out the best options what to do with it and just when to release it when it made sense and you know to try and play shows and do everything else you need to do for an album like usually but um yeah you know shit happens but uh, yeah, was that? It's been cool. We've, we've been able to walk on heaps, of, work on heaps of other stuff, and keep keep busy in the meantime. But yeah, there's definitely I was doing some songs the other night, and there's lyrics about like where I say like isolation and things like that, and it makes me really cringe because it was actually written before all this happened. So, <laughs> but now when we play it live, people are like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's that could be one way of looking at it. Another way that I like to look at it is like, that, I mean, and there's been so many albums that have been written before COVID and then people are playing them and they're like, did you know, like, this is so similar to the experience that I felt <laughs> during this year. But I mean, I think it also, it just speaks to kind of the universality of people's feelings during that, that particular time. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some, 
some cool things that would come out of it. I think I did like one song with Gizzard, Straws in the Wind, which was really like, you know, me my pushing point of being like, all right, I need to get this out of my system to like write something that's about how just chaotic and wild things are going on at the moment. But it has to be deeply laid with metaphors so I won't cringe forever, you know, making, mm. you know, sh- knowing that it's just so obviously about, you know, COVID <laughs> stuff. Right, but like, yeah, right. I think a lot of people wouldn't pick up on that, but like to me there's different lines in there and stuff that reflect on, you know, certain things like that. But I'm glad I got that on my system and I was like, all right, cool, move on. And, yeah, it's been kind of good. Yeah, so – to force you into going more conceptual as well. So knowing all of that, what's it going to be like playing some of those songs on the road? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, that's only, there's only one, that one for me with Gizzard. But yeah, like I said, with these other ones with Murlocs, you know, there are li- lyrics and lines that people might take the wrong way and think it's referring to COVID and whatnot, but it's not. It's just a... It's a uh, Bittersweet Demons is an album about my family and my my close friends and stuff and their experiences, none of of which actually, well, some of mine, but it's just like mutual experiences. Yeah, 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 it's so interesting. Um, I can't, I'm really looking forward to come out. So that's, the new album's Bittersweet Demons and it comes out on, um, on June 25th, right? That's correct. And I saw the video Francesca, which is about, which is about your mom. Can you, uh, are you, are you close with your mom? Can you talk about a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, very close. Uh, since I was a young lad, I was always pretty encouraged by her to do music, you know, but I also had a father that was, um, somewhat famous in the music world over here in Australia. Um, so he would tour a lot of the time, like extensively throughout the country. Sort of what you do in America, but in here in Australia, it's a bit, um, I don't know, it's, it's a lot harder to do. You, there's a lot of, not much, you know, in between. It's sort of all pretty far stretched apart. But he, so mm-hmm. he would go away for, you know, a few months at a time and whatever. So I think when uh, parents started to split, me doing music was like a way in my head to think I was going to bring it all back together in the family home setting. But, you know, it didn't. Um, but I just continued to do it to try to have that, yeah, that relationship with my father, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird feeling when you come to some sort of accomplishments and things in your life and then you finally get this tip of a hat from your parents or whatever, like, all right, cool, you, you've done it, I guess, cool. And then it's like, all right, well, what else more do you want? You feel, I feel a bit of it at a crossroads sometimes. Um, mm. But and there's always a drive there because there's ways that um, things are betrayed or put towards you to make you want more. Hmm. More, more of what? More of a... Uh, life i know more of like achievements more of things coming into fruition throughout creativity and yeah just certain things like that but there are a lot of songs that are even more like closures for me between relationships with friends and you know drug and alcohol abuse and certain different 
things of depression and other things. And yeah, I thought it was, was listening to like, you know, Alton John and Yoko and a band and stuff like a lot of just pretty straight to the point, pretty personal, deep cut sort of music. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I've always sort of liked, the simplicity of just like something powerful and yeah, just yeah, well yeah. aware of itself yeah. and out there. And when you were talking about kind of your parents and and your reaction to their um, <clears throat> involvement in your music uh, development, were you kind of looking for more um, validation from them or kind of just validation about your art form? Yeah, for sure. I guess so. But it was always sort of there. I think with my father, because, you know, being a museo himself, he would be like, you know, don't do this, become a doctor, become a lawyer sort of type thing. But also, you know, would in, encourage and offer tips and, you know, wisdom and stuff whenever he could. But I think, you know, it's just naturally kids want to follow in their parents' footsteps um, in some ways, you know, without meaning to sort of just happens naturally. Um, but, yeah, I, I was just obsessed with with all the music that I was being brought up on, like blues music yeah. and stuff. I would fall asleep every night listening to Mighty Waters and Robert Johnson and all that stuff. So, right on. Yeah, it's sort of ingrained what are your, are in those me. some of your What are your some of your earliest uh, musical memories that way? Um, my earliest gig memories probably seeing, like, Ray Charles when I was like six or something. On oh, my wow. I remember being on my mum's shoulders and watching him like stagger onto stage at like Melbourne Blues <laughs> Festival. Wow. And just being around like small pubs and stuff throughout Australia, just like real hot in like a little singlet, eating a ras- um, drinking a raspberry soda and eating some salt vinegar chips. Like <laughs> all those things are like really just nostalgic. Yeah. And good memories. Yeah. So I think I just growing up around pubs and music and all that crowd, it was just like, this is kind of my, my family. Yeah. So it kind of came natural to you because your family was very musical, huh? Yeah. I was already surrounded so much in the culture and it's such an awesome community and culture to be surrounded by. And I found a lot of that was the same in like skateboarding, which I was heavily. I still am, you know, heavily into and influenced by. It's all the same, um, really supportive, creative, like loving community, really friendship-based and stuff, friends first sort of type thing before business. Yeah, it's almost like a band of brothers kind of, for lack of a better term, sort of in the, there's a skate park right outside. Uh, there's a big park across the street from where I live in Chicago. And, uh, uh, yeah, I see that kind of camaraderie that's always going on with the skaters out there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's the same as being in a band, really. If you, you got the crew that you skate with and you grow up with, it's, you sort of just, you've all got the same vision and wanting to do the same thing, the same drive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in LA. I wasn't much of a skater, but, um, uh, but definitely had that vibe going on all the time with, uh, yeah, you don't uh, have to be a skateboarder to understand the mentality and community of it. 
Yeah, yeah, right. For sure. For sure. Who were some of your skating heroes? Oh, there's too many to name. Ethan Fowler is probably my favorite <laughs> skater of all time. Yeah. Um, I have lots of Australian friends that are heroes as well. But, yeah, the list right. is really endless. I probably, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a skate nerd more than a music music one for sure. I'm watching oh, really? too wow. many skate videos on YouTube. It's sort of like my guilty pleasure. Yeah, nice. Everyone's got everyone's got to have one of those. But if you're more of a skate nerd than a music nerd, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty confronting even to me sometimes how how obsessive it is. But um, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. I get the same feeling of doing a trick either you're working on for like hours or whatever. It's the same as you do when you play a performance to people and been, that you've been rehearsing for for weeks or whatever. Right. Um, when did you first get into keys and, and harmonica and like the instruments that you now focus on? Um, harmonica's always been from an early age. Oh. Yeah. Very young, just messing around. I, I've just always been obsessed with it, just the tones and bending notes and stuff and getting that, those sorts of sounds, those blues harp sounds. Um, so I sort of did that for so long, playing in different bands, getting up and just jamming with people, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Guitar and keys and stuff was always trickling a little bit, but I, yeah, I've got a bad thing with like a, a authority or being taught or shown how to do something. I always have to try and just make things up and do them my own way. Right. <laughs> okay. Which is pretty stupid a lot of the time, just throwing the book out the window. But um, a lot of the time, you, you you can surprise yourself with little things that you know you come up with that you didn't mean to, or knew that huh. you had inside of you, I guess. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, keys and stuff was always late to game because I was just playing harmonica and singing in bands and playing a bit of rhythm guitar, and then. You know, being in Gizzard, it's sort of like, all right, well, you got to pull your weight. So, you know, Stu's showed me a lot of keyboard stuff. And, like, you know, to be honest, a lot of stuff, mainly my brain's just filled with Gizzard songs and Merlock songs, which is sort of a, a lot in itself anyway. Um, but, yeah. 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 Been, it's years have flown by, to be honest, man. I don't know. It's been quite a while now tinkering around the keys I've definitely made that more of a writing tool and a easier thing to yeah get stuff together going you know quicker than like just some guitar chords and whatever hmm. I think I've always started to mess around with something and then I'll just start singing the melody before I can figure out how to play it sort of thing and that's how hmm. I sort of end up writing coming up with a bass and then focusing more on the lyrics and then come back to the crafting the song. Yeah. Do you start, do you start out writing on, on guitar or keys? Yeah, it depends. Probably more keys in the last few years. I find it a lot easier to just sing to and then have it all just way more visual and just, um, yeah, I've been loving just trying to write on like the Wurlitzer and piano and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's so much it can, bring to the table that I've never realized before. Just a lot of warmth 
and like, uh, yeah, good support to, yeah, bring your confidence in singing and stuff. I think, you know, just, yeah, I've I'm, I'm enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, you feel comfortable on keys, clearly. Um, a little it was bit, interesting not, not before, really, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was interesting when you talk. You just, you just, you just mentioned something about how you're a little stubborn about listening to other people. Uh, you know, tell you or you know, uh, teachers or instructors in in music that you kind of go off on your own way. Um, man, I, I probably would have guessed that that was the case because your music's so unique and King Giz music is just so completely different than anything else um, that it sort of speaks to that ethos of we're going to do things our own way. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, there's obviously a lot of obvious influences and stuff and all the guys in Giz are just like super talented and freaks. Like I'm definitely just the one bluffing it on the side, but I, I have my own <laughs> tools and, you know, we all have a different things and attributes that we bring to the table that make the whole picture. It's, you know, it, it's a colorful one because there's all these different influences, different inspirations from everyone, you know, so we all kind of just put our cherries on top and whatever and things always go in different directions. And Merlox has sort of yeah. just been like a pretty straight visual just like thing of mine. I've always just wanted to be kind of that. It, it can vary and do all this other stuff, but I like it just being pretty classic and timeless as much as it can be, you know. I wanted to just highlight the areas and periods of music that are like the closest to my heart. Hmm. Yeah, I love I I love the music you've done with Murlocs. It seems like I kind of really resonate with it. I, I I I was I've been listening to it the last month or so, and it's um, um I I really really love it. For somehow somehow it just resonates with me in a in a really kind of way that's familiar. Maybe maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe. Hope so. <laughs> Look, judging <laughs> by some of the influences in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So talk to me a little bit about how, um, you know, your, your, um, your background in various bands and how that led up to, to Murlocs and, uh, and Gizzard. I'm, cause I'm, I'm super interested in, in how those two kind of overlap and how you've balanced both. How did that, what, what was, what was your experience leading up to, um, the bands that you're in now? Um, I guess it all started back in 2010, I remember hearing murmurs of like Gizzard starting um, through mutual friends because me, me and Lucas from Gizzard played in um, Sambra's Automobile, which is my band throughout high school. It's like a blues rock band. What was it called? Uh, he, Sambra's Automobile. Okay. Um, so then we were doing that all the way up to like when I finished high school. Um, I'm a couple of years younger than Lucas. So then all the other guys around Lucas's age, like Stu and Cook were in another band called Revolver and Son and Lucas and Stu were in another band called The Houses. So we all played in those sort of three bands lineups like most weekends throughout all the pubs and stuff in our area and, mm -hmm. then, um, and in Melbourne, you know, slowly as we're getting up there from like 
you know, towards that 18 and stuff being, you know, more the right age to be at those venues. Um, And then as it continued on, Gizzard sort of just spurred out of those bands and Stu started, you know, he met some guys at uni, which was like Joe and Eric, and then Cavs came to the picture. And then before they knew it, they were just playing like three chord, big jam band, party vibe gigs. And I remember seeing them. I was like, that's the band I want to play harmonica in. I hope I get the call up one day. Mm-hmm. And I also knew in the back of my mind, like, you know, Sue was always the, the sort of closet freak in the shadows that was just better than everyone. Um, but yeah, then <laughs> seeing him front the band and see that, I was like, all right, this is going to be a thing. This is finally the thing that's going to pop off. Everyone just, everyone just knew it in the room when you saw that. And then, yeah, he asked me to come play harmonica and I just never left. I just kept rocking up. Um, <laughs> they can't get rid of you. <laughs> yeah, so then he got me on the keys and doing a few other things to justify it, I guess. So what was that? Was that like a moment in time when it was like, okay, this is <clears throat> going to be King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? Was it a was it a, um, <clears throat> an evolution? Like, hey, let's all of us get together and do this thing or... How did that? How did that exactly go down? Yeah, I guess I don't know. Like again, looking back to that first time I saw him, it was a full like Wayne's World Dreamweaver moment. Like you know, just looking at it like, <laughs> well, what's going on here? And then, bef- you know, before I knew it, we were playing like the festival, like the biggest festival that was around that we all went to, you know, every year and always dreamed of playing. So I, for all of us, that was like when we played that, we're like, all right oh, shit, things getting real. This is, you know, this is, something's going to happen, hopefully. So, and everyone yeah. was, had been doing bands and things for so long that everyone was ready to knuckle down and, and really go for it. So we all um, have just been going for it nonstop, you know, 10 years. It's, it's pretty crazy how well we've all got along the whole time, you know, and how much we can just continue to work with each other every day and still be best mates. It's pretty incredible yeah that's fucking amazing dude and uh man to be a fan of king gizzard is just to be a part of that is just amazing you know to you guys are just like prolific doesn't even scratch the surface of (laughs) the depth of artistic production that's going on with you guys um yeah for sure albums in in 2017 i'm like what (laughs) yeah but it all just happened in such a quick period like bef- as it started i had started murlocs you know and in those first few years we were just at the same doing the same things you know there's a lot of buzz on both bands and um just but gizzard was just a faster train you know it was faster than everyone else so it yeah. just naturally things just kept rolling rolling and then it was when we went to america that's when it all was just like all right and then things just went up and then murlocs you know because it was sort of like Murlocs and Gizzard, you know, just behind it. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like Giz went to America as Murlocs were like, and then it just went like, you know what I mean? So, Giz took off. I'm so grateful that I can still keep it going and make Murlocs still a, you know, a big band in its own sense and, and be, you know, successful and, you know, keep driving for more because I want it to be its own beast. I'm sick of it being considered the side project because it was never a side project. We started at the same time. We all had the right. same 
outlets, the same, everything was at our same arm's length and then things just changed overnight, you know? Yeah. And is there never any pressure like, okay, I mean, clearly there hasn't been pressure to like, um, you know, focus everything into, into Gizzard. You've been able to balance both. Well, yeah, it's like, that's the nature of Gizzard and stuff. You know, I've always said to Stu and whoever, like, you know, what, give me an ultimatum if it's too much, but he's always encouraged and he helped record Murloc's albums and stuff. You know, he's our biggest Mm. fan as well. So like it all just works around the same family, like all of us together, both bands are just like the best of friends and have been for so long. Um, and it just it just works itself out, you know. We've become better as the years goes on to be like, all right, you know, Gizzard's like pretty comfortable and can do this and that and take some time off. Without saying it, you know, I know that's like fine for me and go me and Cook to go do a bunch of Murloc stuff in that period, make an album, tour it, you know. We sort of just um I've always had Murlocs as my full kind of like creative outlet, be able to control and sort of like direct it you know and narrate it mm-hmm. the ways i want to you know not so much in gizzard like i still we're all so collaborative and it's so fair in gizzard as well but we also all need our other things as well and which is good yeah. and we all support each other and give let each other have time to do that you know because um, yeah. at the end of the day like you know still we'll just we'll keep going non-stop and do things you know it's just like if we're there and ready and have the time and contribute then you know uh, things can take its own path and yeah that's sort of the way it kind of works but without saying it it's sort of just like a everyone kind of knows what's going on you know if you're not doing yeah that, i mean every like, cre- creative people need their creative outlet for sure and if you're gonna yeah gonna that's just what that. it is i'm just lucky that it's right. i've got another band that can reach those sort of similar goals and get the same things, you know, when, when we have the time to. Do you feel like you get off with, uh, with gizzard playing in a certain way that, that you don't get with Murlocs and vice versa? Yeah. Is it it a different experience for you? Yeah. Well, because in Murlocs, I can really get my rocks off in singing the whole way and, and doing that because that's what I love to do is, um, so that's what I get from that, you know, and, and also the music's just like way more, you know, straight to the core to me and like, you know, just sort of what I've grown up on and what I've always wanted to do. And then yeah. Gizzard gives me that whole other aspect of the, being more creative, learning so much all the time, you know, they both just counteract each other, you know, like Stu's like, we'll say, you know, Mills is good because it helps you become a better songwriter because you can, you can have more of that as an outlet um, at all times. And then you can bring that back into the Gizzard sense as well. So, you know, in the last few years, I've been writing way more songs for Gizzard or like trying to, you know, throwing more ideas out on the table because I've sort of oh. built up the confidence with Murlocs, if you know what I mean, like from learning yeah, for sure. all the stuff from Gizzard, taking it to my baby, letting things grow, and then bring it back to Papa. Yeah. yeah. 
What's like a what's something that you've learned with Gizzard that you brought back to Murlocs? Um, I think it's just like being more confident on like keyboards and just song structures, different ways of writing. I think I would always just get stuck in the same formula. You know, it's good hanging around Gizzard and watching everyone work and creating different ways they do and trying different things and, you know, yeah, um, makes things a lot more exciting and challenging. And, you know, a lot of the, sometimes the guys in Merlock, some of them get worried about how we're going to portray something on an album live, you know, if extra overdubs or instruments that, we might not have or whatever I want to tour with. And, you know, Gizzard's never thought about that for once in its existence, you know. It always just makes albums with sitars or, like, whatever the hell it is, and then we just find ways to, you know, in, you know, just pull it off differently, do it, right. you know. <clears throat> and you're playing straight-up keys with Gizzard. You're not doing synth, so you wouldn't, like – play um, like yeah like i just have the Nord kind and of thing we just make i make you know i'll sometimes i'll spend like for the microtonal stuff we just did us you know here in australia that those tours i was spending days on end making microtonal patches so like recording a sound whether it's a sitar or some synth or something from the recording and then put it onto the nord but before i put it onto the nord i transpose the different a couple of keys that are that are half sharp and stuff, and then that would be put onto the keyboard and right. Yeah, so there's a lot of that, and I'm I'm such a noob and stuff, so it would just take me like ten goes sometimes on my patch. <laughs> so I got the name Patch Adams by the end of it because I was just bashing my head against the wall. <laughs> you keep saying you're a noob, and you've been in these bands for over <laughs> ten years now, plus prior bands. So I think you're very humble. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I'm just still not convinced. <laughs> yeah. I'm still pinching myself. Really? Really? What do you that that's that's interesting. Let's talk about that for a minute. What what do you kind of attribute that to? Like kind of um this the, uh, a humbleness or kind of um not fully recognizing the popularity I think it's just like a and, uh, constant fear of having it ego as well i just don't mm. you know i think the most important thing to me are like my friends and you know <clears throat> of course my family but like your friends more importantly like you keep those ones closest that ground you and pull you up when you're acting like a fool because you know the last thing you want to be is this big bloody peacock flapping around the bar <laughs> talking about themselves all night so right. I think that's a lot of it as well. And, um, yeah, I just like, I think all the time, I think how fast paced things are, you know, it, it blows me away how much the guys can learn and pick up. Cause yeah, as I said, when it came, when I came to the band, I was, I'm not really that musically knowledgeable or anything, you know, I've just sort of everything I've done as silly as it is, is just from just following my heart and my ear and what, like feels good feels right and not really or not really thinking about like if the notes in the scale or not or whatever it's kind of silly but it's sort of just what's what it's all about to me as well is the feeling <clears throat> you get creating and then performing 
And I guess I've also just felt more of a performer than a musician too. Oh, you have. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So that you kind of sounds like you're someone who very much focuses on what comes naturally to you and clearly in a live setting, um, that's more, um, that's kind of more of the live setting, uh, show and environment. Is that, does that sound right to you? Yeah. I think it's just from being a young age, you know, like trying to get up on stage with my dad or like just dancing around and just being a show pony, I guess, and, and skateboarding and all that <laughs> stuff. That's sort of just, I liked to entertain people, make people laugh and, you know, yeah, see it firsthand how it can make people feel good. And yeah, I think that's the most important thing to me. So you definitely, I uh, clearly you enjoy live shows. Um, uh, so obviously you've missed what's been going on that you haven't been able to get in front of fans, uh, over this past year. So, um, uh, what's the yeah. one thing you look forward, like, what do you most look forward to do when you're back out getting on the road? Oh, uh, just seeing those happy faces again. Yeah. Just, you know, um, just playing all these new tunes that we've been working on as well. There's so much to get through. Um, yeah, I'm really excited on all the stuff that's about to come out. And, yeah, and just being able to, like, pull it off live and just get on the bus, get in my little capsule, my little fart capsule again and just rock myself to sleep every night. <laughs> yeah, see different places, you know. That I haven't seen or places that I have seen before, but only for a few hours. Yeah, um, yeah. Just not so you like take you like you like touring. You, you enjoy touring, Ambrose. Yeah, I love touring. <laughs> yeah, what do you love? So you love about just seeing new places, being um, the whole the kind of the whole the whole thing. Just yeah, I just love the working mentality of it, just of traveling and being on the road. Um, sort of, uh, I just love yeah, doing it. Sort of shutting off from. It's a good way to distract you from the real world because it's quite a fantasy lifestyle. And yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just nothing better than watching and make you know making these music to see people's reaction and see how much. It can bring joy to people. I think that's just a huge feeling. Yeah. Do you enjoy not being the front man too when you're in uh, when yeah. you're when you're out there with Gizzard? You're kind of. It's less stress for sure. I don't know how Stu does it sometimes because it's just like we'll finish show and then he'll go out and talk to fans for like hours. Like I finish a show with Murlocs and I just like want to go to sleep. <laughs> huh, interesting. But I don't know. I guess in that sense, I'm. I, I probably sing more than he would throughout a Giz set because some songs, you know, vary so much more instrumental or whatever. Right. Murloc songs are pretty like bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being in Gizzard, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good, uh, mix bag for me. Things, you know, I can focus on just really sing my heart out on one or two songs in a set and then the rest of it I can just, you know, knuckle down and fiddle with my patches. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Looking at your new album, uh, like we were talking about, it's 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 um, it's incredibly personal. And one of the singles that you've already put out with a video eating at you is uh, addresses. Um, is that the song that addresses the death of one of your friends? It's um, bittersweet. Demons a title track. Eating at you is reflecting to another friend and their own struggles as well. Mm. Um, I guess it's sort of a playoff from Bittersweet Demons. Yeah. But yeah, Bittersweet Demons, I was sort of, I had this sort of tune on the piano roughly. And then, um, yeah, when my good friend Keegan Walker passed, it hit me so hard because I was in the middle of a tour in the States with Murlocs. And I think that was always my biggest fear, losing a friend or not being there for a friend or someone, family member whilst you're just stuck on the other side of the world there's nothing you can really do about it Mm. so yeah when that happened it really shook me and then that was like without meaning to that's how that song came together then i was like hey all right if i'm gonna go this far into my soul then i might as well just make the whole album go as a bit of a therapy session (laughs) yeah i'm so sorry that 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 you lost your friend it's you know shit happens it's just it's hard when like you you sort of saw it coming in stages and you felt like you tried but you know you can at the end of the day it's there's not much yeah. you can do in those situations yeah i got the feeling that was something um, and then about that 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 was kind of the situation it had to do with a kind of abusive lifestyle drug abuse etc yeah 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 and then like I don't know, I guess, you know, I go through those stages too. And, and then when you have those friends that are really similar to you in those aspects and don't have the distractions of like what, you know, my lifestyle is or whatever, just doing the same nine to five daily routine, it starts to eat at you, you know? <laughs> right. But like, right. it is like, I think there's lots of elements of that on the album no self-control and other things that are like I'm talking about myself but I'm also talking to close friends as well that have the same same struggles I guess yeah but in a lot lot worse scenarios yeah so having had that happen already once in your life and that you've experienced firsthand what do you tell friends that are kind of going through it now um, you know, just to be self-aware and when I do see friends that are being self-destructive or going down different paths, it's, it's hard to pull them aside in a social setting. But, you know, I think if you see those things happen, just, you know, it, sometimes a lot of people find it too confronting and too much to take on with everything else going on in their lives. But I think especially after last year and the current state of times, people need to be more aware of their loved ones and if something's off you know and even just a message or a phone call after you've seen them can go a huge way mm-hmm. you know and then um yeah just a bit of time aside to make just to check in on people because you know i think it's a scary thing as you get older people just get sucked up in their lives and yeah you know forget what it was like when you were younger and how closer you were you know? Yeah. I mean, people always need other people and your friends are lucky to have, uh, you knowing this in their life for sure. 
Um, yeah, I guess this is what the record's about to let them know if I haven't told them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's it like to sing these? Uh, what do you, what, uh, have you performed these songs before in a live setting? Well, yeah, we just did the shows on the weekend when, for the first time, oh, we right, did the right, whole right, album right, right. in sequence, the preview shows. Oh, you did? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so understanding the personal nature. Of, yeah. Understanding the personal nature of these songs. What was that? What was the, what impact did that have on you to sing those to an audience? Made it more terrifying. <laughs> bit bit more shaky. Yeah. And especially in that sitting down intimate live show setting um, as well. It was you know it was oh, some of those lyrics that hit home so much that I've had to just listen to the album and do so many rehearsals and stuff that it's just sort of like a numbness now for a mm. bit while I sing them. I can just sort of go into a different place and not sort of dwell too much on the last line or something if I think about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's been good. We, we we did the show on the Saturday. We, we filmed it and um going to put up like a live stream with that, which I'm excited about. But um, yeah, listening back to it, it was, it was, it was a bit, a few little fluffs here and there because I think everyone was a bit, you know, first show, cobwebs. So in hindsight, we probably should have filmed the second one, but we couldn't. But either way, that's just the nature of all that stuff where you start to choke when you put on pressure. But I think there was just even a bit more of that for me with knowing how much all the songs come from different places that are, yeah, that are close. Yeah. A couple of flubs here and there. I mean, um, yeah, like you said, you understanding know, to the, the common listener, maybe won't hopefully hear him, but <laughs> well, I mean, understanding the deep personal nature of that it could have been a lot worse, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have just had a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> just hopefully. sobbing like a little baby in the corner. <laughs> Yeah, well, fortunately, that didn't happen. Maybe you did it after the show, and you're not going to tell me. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also, kind of technically speaking, it's hard to get out there and just get in front of an audience when it's when you haven't been really in that in that rhythm, too, right? Mm. Yeah, for sure, definitely that. And we've done a few though in the like first start of this year. But yeah, it's been a Fair to fair, farewell in between, and yeah, playing all these new songs, it's a whole different ball game. There's some acoustic ones and all different kinds of vibes on there that's a bit different to our more rocking rock sense. You know, it's a lot more chill, sort of ballady type ones and stuff. So, right, I, I, I curated the set to make it all pretty mellow to suit the vibe, which I think was a good idea, you know. People couldn't get up and dance, so we didn't want to encourage that too much. Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for once, the emphasis is on just just sit down, everyone. We'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a grand piano and stuff, so it was all kind of made sense. Right. Um, in the context of uh, the new album, and I think the the um, uh, the single, um, one of the singles, uh, "Eating at You," you also, I believe, talked about letting go of outcome. Does that sound familiar? Mm. What does that What does that mean yeah, to you? A little bit in this in this environment in in this context. In the context of the album, I guess just sort of letting go of like what people think. 
I think I've yeah. always just like, you know, you got to be aware and courteous of others and make sure that, you know, you, you come across as a good person. But also at the end of the day, like, you know, I think it's just me digging into those areas and, and highlighting them on the record and all that stuff. I sort of just needed the, the closure f- as well and to move on and be like proud of something and like, it, you know, to really capture that moment in um, my lives and the band's lives. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, going into it, I was worried. I was, things were a bit more literal. Um, I made lyrics a bit more ambiguous stuff to, just to make it feel a bit more comfortable with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think that's also just something I just keep in the back of my mind is in the sense of a performer as well. You got to kind of put yourself out there and let people judge you. Um, and just be who you are or else it's just all a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, as an artist, you need, that's part of the, part of the bargain is that you, you put your own self out there and you do that because you want to. Um, how do you deal mm. with, uh, uh, with criticism or people just fucking people saying stupid shit? Um, you think it doesn't get to you. But, you know, sometimes it depends. It depends on what kind of setting it is, you know. I think it can take you by surprise when I'll, you know, you, I might just be at a bar or something or somewhere out and someone will, will come up fanning out or whatever and mm-hmm. people around you, friends or even just randoms or whatever, laugh or, like, you know, give you shit about it. That stuff's kind of frustrating because people don't really get it all the time, like, you know, from a secondhand point of view. I don't understand maybe what that what it meant to that person or whatever, and then what it might mean to the person that's happening to you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how to like control the situation and make sure you know everyone's got a smile on their dial at the end of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's fine. Like it, I don't know. It all just comes in different ways, and some are unexpected, and some are predetermined. But, yeah, it's just all the the nature of it, you know. The aim is to make people happy, and if it, people make you, if people come up to you telling them how much it makes you happy, then you got to be grateful for that. You know? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. That's an interesting scenario if you're out with friends and someone comes up and, 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 and you know, recognizes you and wants to, wants to have a chat. I mean, how, what do you usually do? How, what do you usually say? Yeah, like, you know, you, you just sort of get up and give them the time you can and effort and whatever. But, you know, um, this is on a lot smaller scale. I couldn't imagine what it would be like being actually famous or whatever. But, um, yeah, it, it definitely depends on the scenarios. But, yeah, a lot of the time it's a, it's a confusing one. It's a hard one to really put words to it and anything i was watching the john belushi doco last night mm. and some of his behaviors is sort of like the ways i wish you know i could react sometimes but you mean completely <laughs> going yeah completely going off the rail i think you need to do the opposite of what john belushi did but like what you yeah, would go exactly. completely off, you would go, 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 go completely off the rails at people what's that he would just go completely off the Sorry. rails at people Oh yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it's not not necessary. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
yeah, it's a hard one to, to pinpoint, that's for sure. I'm still learning. It's still new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can tell you, you have a lot of artistic creativity inside of you, and you like to put it out there. How do you personally um, continue to motivate yourself to different artistic spaces that allow you to um, put your work out there? Like how, what's your, what's kind of the process and the thought, the thought process behind putting work out and what does that look like for you, both kind of in the studio or writing or, or in a live setting? Um, I guess in recent times it's been a bit of a different mentality, you know, you're trying to get too attached to something because you, you know, you get, you put all this time and you invest so much much into it and you know then when it's all done and dusted and you just don't know what to do with it you don't know where to put it out or how to like you know tour it yet or whatever it's definitely different ways that we're still just learning at the moment like the whole industry is changing you know things are getting stranger and stranger like we're about to do you know some like weird virtual things and stuff like that that's just seems so bizarre but it's just the ways of the world and being in the future Mm -hmm. but um yeah i think that's also the benefits of just having two bands that you can just continuously create and move on to the next thing and if one thing just loses its vibe you know it just the wheel just keeps spinning so and as long as it keeps spinning and things won't ever stop you know um, it will slow down and stagger, but um, the, the, it's always in motion. And there's lots, there's lots, lots to work on. There's, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot of like-minded people that have a lot more to get out on the table. Yeah, interesting. So you're saying that, um, if I hear you correctly, it's easier for you to do that when you've got a lot of people around you that are also moving in the same direction because you've got a lot of creativity and a lot of, uh, music to add. And it's just, uh, yeah, that kind of speaks to your own personal vibe and kind of what you've structured in terms of your own, uh, musical world and, uh, uh, creative world with your, with your mates. Yeah, for sure. Um, been very lucky in that sense. I couldn't uh, imagine what it would be like trying to make music without them, really. Um, it's been so long and being able to, like, just show even something that's barely even formed and then it just becomes its own thing that was just, you know, it's like we're all just sort of finishing each other's sentences constantly. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, in a music sense could you see yourself ever being completely solo? Like, what does that, what does that look like for you? Does that terrify you? Yeah. Completely <laughs> <terrifies> <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I've definitely thought about it heaps of times, but, um, you know, just looking at how long it takes to just build up a name and build up something, you know, it's just, it's pretty scary to think about starting all over again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as things keep growing and things happen naturally, one day I hope I can, you know, do a solo album that I'm happy with that's, you know, 
but I feel like the Merlox is just like kind of does that for me already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of got that feeling. It's great stuff, man. It's great stuff. I love it. Um, so I, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you is both touring with, um, King Gizzard and with Murlocs, clearly you've traversed the, the oceans back and forth from Australia to the United States, who knows how many times, but what are some similarities uh, in performing both from what you're seeing out there in the fans and fan reaction um, and between the U S and Australia, for example? Oh, I miss the U S a lot. Yeah. Um, the U S is over the years, you know, I wasn't really sure about, I was kind of a bit scared or confronted by it. It's just such a big eye-opening place everywhere you go. It's just like its own country. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I miss it so much. I think over the years we've we've really grown and I feel like we're the biggest in the U.S. than anywhere and I think that's, you know, anyone's goal. And, you know, doing all the shows in Australia has been great and all that stuff. But, you know, I just can't wait to just get overseas and finish off what we started. We'll continue yeah that? yeah how long is uh you know this. uh from a murlocs are you thinking from a murlocs perspective are you speaking from murlocs perspective or from king gizzard's perspective thinking from both, both yeah in general yeah and i think murlocs a lot has a lot of catching up to do and i can't wait to see what we can pull off next time we finally get there because you know the last tour we did was our first you know first tour and that was like whoa okay and we're like playing shows that are bigger than Australia in some places, you know, like we'll play in the middle of Montana and bigger show than we'll do in some states mm. over here. So I don't know. It was, it was really cool and I can't wait to just go back and continue it all. Yeah. What does that feel? What does that feel like when you're getting so much support from somewhere that's so far away? It's mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's how? awesome. It's just, it's just sweet because the way Australia works in the industry, it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's pretty, pretty different in my opinion, but similar to a lot of the world. But um, yeah, just also the fans and people in America, just, just really just, you can really see the effect it, it brings, you know, and mm. the positivity. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, you know, I think it's a good distraction for people all the time, too. Yeah, for sure. But what about um, what what what's the mindset when you're like, I'm from Australia. I've lived here my whole life. I've played here and performed here and I create my music here. But you feel like you're playing bigger shows in the States. What is that? What impact does that have on you, if any? I don't know. I've always tried to figure it out. I have American bands that are like, I think it's because you're exotic, because you're foreign and, you know, you're from this faraway place and all this stuff. But I think also we've grown up here in Melbourne with such a unique music scene. I think a lot of my favourite bands still amongst the world in current times are just my friends' bands that I've grown up with or like, you know, even new bands in Melbourne. Like, there's a lot, a lot of stuff, but a lot of the t- but then, you know, every now and then there'll be something that really stands out and it does do well and you can tell when it's going to do well. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of potential looming all the time. So 
Well, on the flip yeah, side of that, can, Ambrose, you can see it evolving. On the flip side of that, do you ever think like why why are we not bigger in in Australia? Um, I sort of know why I think. Oh, I why do you think? Oh, you know. <laughs> 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 I don't know. No, it's just. Um, I mean, in general, in general terms, without in general terms, without like insulting anybody. Oh no, I don't know. It's just like things are pretty. It's a bit of a monopoly here at times, I guess. You know, we've done everything ourselves so much. We didn't play by the rules, so there might be some of those things in the scene where we don't really reach that next level. It's maybe more commercial based. I don't know. It's kind of just like America. There's just sort of just a free spirit. There's 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 doors open for sort of everything, hmm. and not that there isn't for here. It's just like. It's just, you know, it can only reach to certain things. You know, you can't, you can't tour Australia like you tour America. That's also the, the one big thing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. What are the differences? Like, how, what, do you, what does touring look like in, in U.S. versus or Australia or vice versa? Well, U.S., you can drive like, you know, how many hours, six, eight hours less couple hours and you're in like another state mm-hmm. where here it's like you know at least 10 hours or whatever in between and um there's and there's nothing in between like there, there's stuff in between like it makes sense to try and do the smaller pubs and stuff like you know what acdc and bands like that would have used to do like what my dad used to do yeah um now if if ever but um yeah it's just a different just a different way of things working over here, I guess. It's sort of, um, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Right. Interesting. So you wouldn't, so you'd have to get on a plane to go from city to city because they're just farther away. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Pretty for much. You guys it just makes more sense like, financially. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, come on over, man. Let's, uh, you know. Yeah, we're ready. Come, come on over <laughs> already. Get out of this, uh, you know, get out of this bullshit pandemic thing and and come play some uh, some venues. Come play in Chicago for a couple nights, man. I'd love to. I'd love to see you yeah. hang out. Yeah, I'd love to meet. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, um, this was really cool. Thanks for talking to me about the new album and about touring and stuff. Um, and uh, no man, I, I really. Um, I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Andrew, too. Yeah. Sorry about the tech disc at the start, but we got here. Yeah, we yeah. We had, the, great. we had those little <laughs> tech issues at the beginning. I, th- I feel like we bonded over some, um, some tech issues that, got a, that finally brought us together, man. Yeah, it gave us a little bit of an intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were very patient, and I appreciate that. It doesn't happen very often, but um, yeah. Um, yeah, don't, don't everyone well, think like I'm maybe kind of, in a noob, like I said, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it was like some weird thing about the, the link, et cetera. So, um, so go have a cup of coffee, Ambrose, enjoy the day. I'm glad to, I'm also happy to know that the earth is still in existence on it on Thursday. Cause we're still Wednesday here. So it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. Good luck. Good luck with the new album. Um, and best of luck to you, man. Cheers. Thanks, man. Take care, man. Peace. Okay, cool. Peace. Cheers. Bye. Thanks.
Okay, that was Ambrose Kenny Smith of the Murlocs and of King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard. Um, such a cool, mellow dude. I loved uh, just getting inside his head a little bit um, and listening to what's uh, what was happening in Australia at the time. I mean, that was kind of like otherworldly sort of to kind of... Uh, understand a little bit about what was happening and uh, uh, over there and kind of the considerations that had to be uh, uh, taken into account. Uh, they had just played a first show. He had just had an album release show uh, to a seated audience, which is uh, was kind of the direction where things were going at the time. But, uh, you know, clearly um, Ambrose is getting out on the road with uh, with King Gizzard. Uh, really excited to see him in Chicago in the middle in just a couple weeks, actually, in the middle of October they're even playing two nights at Red Rocks uh, in uh, in like a week or so. So um, really psyched for them for that. But um, I love talking to Ambrose um, about his latest album, Bittersweet Demons. Um, and, uh, you know, he talked about it being kind of like a therapy session and very personal. Of course, he has an ode to his mom on that album. And uh, the title track, Bittersweet Demons, is a tribute to his friend that had recently passed. Um, we talked about uh, drugs and uh, and kind of abusive lifestyle and um, how Ambrose can kind of fall into that category a little bit. Um, but uh, he's always trying to lift everybody up that's around him to hear him talk about it. And he's very appreciative of that creative outlet that he has. Um, such an open and honest human and really wants to help people and really values the friendships that he's been able to develop. And I believe that he really continues to nourish those as he moves along in his creative life and gets out there to perform uh, some of these great songs. Hopefully uh, there'll be an opportunity to uh, perform some Murloc songs here in the States or in North America, but I am looking forward to seeing him with, uh, with King Gizzard. Go out and check out the latest album of the Murlocs, uh, Bittersweet Demons. Um, I am really psyched about it, and I'm really happy that it's out there. Um, thanks again for joining me for this episode of Road Case with Ambrose Kenny Smith. Uh, really appreciate your support and so glad that you are here, um, and I want to send a special shout out and thank you to Ambrose Kenny Smith for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>